I love going to the dentist for a checkup. And you know why I love going to the dentist for a checkup? Because they never find anything wrong with my teeth. They Actually, they compliment my teeth. They're like, oh my God, I can't believe how well you take care of your teeth. They don't find cavities. They don't find gum disease. And that's because I use an electric toothbrush. And I know what you're saying right now. Jimmy, those electric toothbrushes, they're so expensive. Well, have you heard about Quip? Quip is an electric toothbrush that is just a fraction of the cost of those big, bulkier brushes. And Quip's got a built-in timer that helps you clean for the dentist-recommended two minutes that they recommend that you should be brushing your teeth. Plus, if you get Quip's subscription plan, they will deliver new brush heads every three months for just $5, including free shipping worldwide. Now, finally, everybody loves Quip. It's not just me, but everybody. They were on Oprah's O-List. They were named one of Time's Best Inventions. And it is the first subscription electric toothbrush accepted by the American Dental Association. And they're backed by a network of over 20,000 dentists and hygienists and hundreds of thousands of happy brushers use Quip every day, including me. Quip starts at just $25, and if you go to getquip.com slash nerd right now, you'll get your first refill pack free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash nerd. That's spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash nerd. If you're coming to Chicago this summer, I would love to work with you in my Artist Low Comedy Weekend Summer Intensive. If you're a seasoned improviser and you're looking for a new approach, or if you're new to improv and maybe you've taken a couple classes and you want to play more realistic, grounded scenes, then this intensive's for you. In this weekend, you'll learn that improvisation will be as easy as having a conversation. And before you can be funny, you need to be real. And guess what? You're going to be even funnier. And it will be easy. And we'll tap into your life experiences to find your authentic voice. Now, there's only 14 slots per intensive. And I will be offering them on the weekend of July 14th and the 15th, July 28th and the 29th, and August 11th and the 12th. Now, if you sign up by June 30th, you can save $30 on our early bird discount. All you need to do for more information and to register is to go to my website at jimmycarane.com. That's jimmycarane.com. I hope to get to work with you this summer in Chicago. What's up? This is Bernie Mina. You're listening to Improv Nerd with Jimmy Corain. Jimmy, Jimmy Corain, Jimmy Corain's a nerd. Jimmy Corain's an improv nerd. Jimmy Corain's a nerd. Oh, Jimmy. Hey, everybody, this is Jimmy Corain, and you're listening to another great episode of Improv Nerd. Our guest today is Vernamina. He is one of Chicago's most respected improvisers and teachers. He teaches and performs at the Annoyance Theater, where you can catch him on Thursday nights at 8 p.m. in Mick Napier's directed long-form show, Trigger Happy. He also performs with the Second City in many incarnations. We talk to him about the Annoyance-specific philosophy of improv, the state of diversity in improv in Chicago, how doing a solo show can help with your confidence in improv, and he tells us a story about his audition. They flew him out to New York to audition for Saturday Night Live. But before we get to the interview with Vernon, I, I just want to share something with you uh, that happened a couple weeks ago in my Artist Low Comedy Level 3 class. Uh, at the end of the class, we do a performance. We invite the 
family and friends to come and watch the class do a long-form performance. And I want to just say this. Those students did such a great job, and I could tell right from the beginning, the first couple scenes, that they were so poised and so confident and so patient. They really were doing such a great job of listening that I was like, as a teacher, and usually when you have a performance, uh, the, the teacher takes on all the anxiety and all the fear. And I was just like, I was just, once I saw the first couple scenes, I just, I was on autopilot. I'm like, I just relaxed and I was like, you know what? I can really enjoy this show. And I was a little worried at the beginning because of the editing. Uh, we had done a couple classes where they, they were kind of, uh, they were struggling a little with the editing and they just edited beautifully throughout the whole evening. And when the show was over, uh, I was so happy for them and I was so proud and for them. And, and, and that's a huge change for me. I, and, and I don't know if it's because I, 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 I'm a father now or I've got, a, a, you know, I've got a great partner in Lauren or my life is just really good and I have a lot of gratitude. But I, I was just I was like so amazed uh, how much progress I've made. Like I, I went home that night and I had so much um, endorphins and uh, adrenaline that I felt like I had performed that night. And when I went to bed, I usually go fall asleep at like 1030. The show was done at 815. I didn't fall asleep till one o'clock. I had like one of the biggest performance highs I've ever had. And the cool thing was I didn't even perform. And I think that's just, I, I don't know. I'm just grateful. I'm grateful that I can be happy for my students and I can feel proud for my students. And if I can feel happy and proud for my students, well, the worst thing is I can start feeling happy and proud for myself. And that is scary. Okay, enough about me. You're going to love this interview with Vernamina. Here it is, the Vernamina episode. Enjoy. Vernon Mina, thank you for being our guest on Improv Nerd. Thank you for having me, Jimmy. Oh, uh, my pleasure. You're born in Honduras. Yes. At five years old, you moved to Chicago, a neighborhood yeah. called the Back of the Yards, which is kind of a rough neighborhood. That's right. Yeah. So we yeah here when I was about to turn four, Back of the Yards neighborhood. Yep. One of five kids, big family, yeah. single mom. Yeah, absolutely. You're the funniest in the family. I'm going <laughs> to just say that right now. I know some of your siblings are listening. I've said it, so you can't you, you can't dispute it. Okay. How did you entertain your family as a kid? So I would, because I was the youngest of five, naturally, you're there to entertain everyone else. And because you're the youngest of five, naturally, you look up to your older siblings and you take a little bit of everyone else's personality. So I can be angry sometimes, like one particular brother in our family. Um, can you can give be, us a, an imitation? Because you were known for imitating uncles and Oh, yeah. Siblings. Yeah, so it's funny because when I would imitate them, they're Honduran, so I would imitate them in Spanish. Like one particular uncle, his name is Nelson. Um, his way of just the manner of way he, he like delivers his speech is so fantastic. It's such a great rhythm. Um, but he would say something like, Dejame en paz, no te voy a hacer nada. Dejame en paz. And he would just constantly do this thing. And I would just like repeat him because I was so in love with the fact that he could make anyone laugh. Even if it was a serious topic, he'd just make you laugh because of the delivery. Um, so yeah, so that's the way I would entertain. I, my mom used to watch movies in Spanish from old co comedians, specifically Cantinflas. Um, 
So I would watch that and I would imitate some of the pratfalls and, but I kind of grew into my style of comedy later in life. And then uh, you said to me, which I thought was interesting, growing up in the back of the yards and going to uh, Gage Park High School, that doing a career in comedy or acting was ridiculous to think that this is something you would do. Yeah, I mean, I would never think that this is something that I would be doing today. I was interested in it, surely, just like anyone else. I had a little bit of, of, a, of a desire to be on TV just because I was a fan of film. Um, but I, I didn't really think I'd... It seems so far-fetched to me. And I think where it comes from is just like the immigrant mentality of like, get a, that's crazy. You came here to work. You didn't come here to be in movies. You know, it's like, but you still work trying to be in movies. And now I know. But back then, it just seemed so far-fetched. And I certainly wasn't thinking of it. My mom, because she didn't know anything about this country had no way even I had any interest like where do I take my son because he's interested and she had several attempts later but when we first got here no idea the one thing that impresses me about you is you have this great work ethic does that come from your family or does that come from being in the military well, so I, well, two things. One, it definitely comes from an immigrant mentality of just like working your ass off to to get to reach a goal. But I certainly saw that. My mother is my biggest inspiration because she came to this country not knowing the language, and then shortly after becoming a single parent um, and just navigating a really bad neighborhood with five kids. Not knowing, you know, if, if one is going to get beat up, if one's going to join a gang or end up in drugs. And it's just, to me, is I just can't understand how she was capable of doing all of that with five kids in a bad neighborhood with there's so many bad influences. And we needed a father figure. So naturally, if we saw one in the street, we would gravitate to that. But she did such a great job of having great role models around us, including our uncles and even my older brother who kind of took on the father figure in our household. Um, but... So I think that's where it comes from. Just seeing my mother being able to achieve what she's done, learning the language, um, getting a profession because she's a beautician and she became a business owner. So she started her own business until this day still has it. Um, and just seeing what she was able to accomplish through that, buying her own home. You know, it's crazy. We grew up on food stamps and we didn't know back then that we were poor. And frankly, I still don't, you know, when you talk about being poor, it's like that's, in, you, it depends on the person you ask. I've been to Honduras. I've seen poor you know and people are still happy and and we were too like we didn't feel we were never hungry you know my mother knew how to hustle and she knew that she was going to take care of her five kids so that's where it came from I mean military I went to military school I never went into like the military and that was just coincidence but that you know that that just kind of came after the fact once I was in college because so. you're like very disciplined like um we were supposed to start at six and you text me I'm not going to be there till 6.05 now for most improvisers that's being on time no way man I hate being late um, it's just like anything else I I respect other people's time and just like they're respecting mine and so I don't like the idea of being late and just being in traffic on top of the fact that adds so much anxiety you know I hate being that person so you weren't the guy you would always show up early to a rehearsal I mean what do you do when you're with a group and people you know improvisers are known for like showing up 15, 20 minutes late yeah. to either a class or a rehearsal. Yeah, so I, I mean, I always try to get there early. I won't say that I'm the one who's like checking the time and being so upset because that's the one thing about me too that I feel like because it's a playful environment, I'm not an asshole. Like I get it if it's a good enough reason. Um, and if, you're, if you've been doing this for, for long enough, you know 
shit happens and so you realize well i get it he's if he does it if he or she does it all the time then you know it's a problem and we'll address it but i've been in those situations man i was fucking late for my ship audition at second city and i my wife was driving and i was paranoid she could not keep like have me stay sit still in the car because i was just going nuts like of all of all days to be late i'm being late to my ship audition and sure enough when i got there it was one of the first things they talk about it's like well we don't want to be outliers here but we want to talk about you being late uh, for everybody else and like you don't want to be known as the late guy i was like are you fucking kidding me i'm usually known as the early guy <laughs> but today you know it just it just kind of happened if it was me, I would blame my wife. That's oh, what I do. No it's way, always man. Lauren's fault. No. I feel bad for her. No, I always take the blame. Always. Even if, if even if I'm I'm right, I always take the blame. All right. So then after high school. Yeah. This is the part where it gets really interesting. After mm -hmm. high school, you follow your girlfriend at the time, who was your high school sweetheart, yeah. who later becomes your wife. Mm -hmm. um, you go to Georgia, you follow her. You guys elope and get married, and then you come back to Chicago. That's right, yeah. How do you get into improv? Yeah, so I mean, I've always been, like I said, the kind of the comedian in the, in the family, and a comedian amongst comedians. So I always felt like an innate like ability to be funny, just because that's, that's kind of my, my, my natural state, I feel like. Um, so, and then being around people that seem to really foster that need in me, like, hey, you know, Vernon, you know, call me Michael, they'll say, hey, Mikey, make me laugh or something like that. And I'd, I'd certainly line up and do just that. Um, so when I was... Was it... I'm sorry to interrupt because yeah. I'm thinking about me because I was one of five kids. Oh, no, and kidding. when you're in a oh. big family, was it your role? Was it your way of really getting attention? Because that, that was for me, like, that was my niche. I was the funny one. It's interesting. I don't think I ever made that conclusion about myself in the order of the family to say I'm the youngest and therefore I should be funny and I am here to entertain I am everyone's clown or <laughs> muse but I for me I seemed like because I was naturally funny and I was around people that were also funny that I just wanted to be that all the time so I didn't feel like oh my god I'm so funny that's this is who I am in this family it was just like we were always goofing around. We grew around. We grew up in a neighborhood where we were kind of razzing. We we're always razzing each other. You know, we we're always talking shit about each other. It's like that's just what we do. So naturally, you're either gonna cry or you're gonna laugh. And sometimes you laugh, but you're gonna cry later. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so your sister gets you. She goes to second city. She was taking classes, and she then tells you, "Hey, Vernon, this would be something good for you to do." Yeah. So it's kind of it's funny because she was taking classes. Um, in at Second City at the training center of the A3E level and I think maybe she just did one or two levels but so she was taking classes just to get comfortable public speaking and as you know this is kind of the the kind of the MO for people that take classes at Second City at that level. It's just, they're not looking at it for a profession. They're just more like a hobby. I want to get comfortable speaking in public or get out of my shell, which is a great reason to do it. Um, so while she was doing she was like, man, I think he'd be kind of good at this. And it's, and so she told me about it. And I was at high school at the time. No, I was just, I had just gotten back from Georgia, eloped um, from my wife, with my wife in Georgia. And I'll say a very quickly uh, funny joke when I was in, in Georgia, you know, cause I moved out there um, just following my wife because her her family kind of uprooted and went to Georgia. I didn't do any research about the school that was the closest to. I said I'm just going to show up. I told my mother I was interested in architecture and I wanted to pursue this one 
college because they had a good math program, which is bullshit, because I hadn't done any research. But it was close enough to the city where they were going to move in in Georgia. I'd never been to Georgia before. It turns out that the school that I signed up for was three hours away from where she was at. And the, the school was North Georgia College and State University. So I show up there and I'm like, hey, I'm Bernie Mina. I'm out of town. I just came from Chicago. Can you tell me where my, my dorm is at? And she's like, oh, yeah, you're signed up for um, your, your dorm is Foxtrot Company. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I don't think I signed up for a fraternity. She's like, no, because you're out of state, you're automatically enlisted into the military program. So like the next morning, three o'clock, I'm doing getting my head shaven and then I'm doing uh, wall repels, like repelling off wall, like 10 foot walls and doing military exercises. So even back then when I was in at uh, in a military school, I was the one cracking other people up. You know, like even when we would have to report to people, I would imitate some of our officers, which would give me a lot of fucking trouble and I had to do tons of push-ups. But I love physical exercise. So to me, that really resonated with me. With me. So when I came back, that, that's all I wanted to do was kind of work out. And when my sister, when I would tell my sister like, hey, yeah, I wanted, I'd be interested in doing this, but I'm from the South side of Chicago. I don't want to do improv because I'd never heard of it. You know, like, so when I started taking classes, you know, as you know, you start doing zip, zap, zob, or as I call it, zip, zap, sob, because I hated it so much. And then you'd also do um, like trust falls. And I was like, I'm fucking, no, I don't trust anybody in this room. Someone's going to let me fall because growing up the youngest of five, you know, that's how we would fuck with you. It's like trust falls. Okay. Yeah. All right. You, you fall, but I ain't going to get you, you know. <laughs> and I think it's interesting because you didn't like improv classes when you first took them i didn't because i didn't know anything about it i didn't know the theory like i didn't know the the nuance that happens when you do improv to me going into it i was like my sister told me it was like oh yeah it's a class and you get to be funny i was like okay when do i get to be funny you know i'm the person as a teacher now i hate <laughs> having in my class because they don't they don't want to take the time to nurture what's then going to be like the great foundation for you to become a good improviser you want to rush to do like let's just do scene work why, why are we playing these games red ball blue ball is like i'm from the south side of chicago this is fucking stupid <laughs> stupid which i find interesting because you kind of like um didn't enjoy it. It didn't seem like, uh -uh. but but you you but there was a part of you that wanted to complete it. What what <laughs> kept you going? It's just stubbornness. It's like I figured they got my money. I want to, you know, I'm like, I'm going to might as well write through it. And the, the one thing that I want to say is that just like everything else that's happened in my life, my fam, my family has always been the best supporters. Um, my brother, who's worked construction all his life to try to provide for the family, um, in addition to all the stuff my mother has, has done, taken, he had to take on a father figure. And he, per, he actually paid for my first improv class. So I would not be here today if it wasn't for my brother, uh, Tony, who paid for my first class. Did that keep you in it? Like, yeah, part of it. So that was the thing is like, I didn't want to just quit and like my brother paid for this class. And then I figured, um, I st at work, I kind of conned them into believing like, hey, which was somewhat true. I told them, like, hey, there's this class I'm kind of interested in taking. It's improv. I know it sounds crazy, but hear me out. Would you be willing to pay for it? Because it's going to help me be public speaker. I'd like to do some presentations at work, which is a, you know, just 
con to say, pay for my classes, please. So did they pay for the rest of the four levels of yeah, A3? Uh, yeah, they did, which is phenomenal. And I also thank, you know, thank you, my work, my job for paying for those classes. But so, yeah, it became a thing of like, I'm just going to go through it. And then at that point, you know, you start building friendships and people start talking about like, yeah, I was doing improv in college. And did you know, like some of your, your com- comedic heroes who were like on sketch shows started doing improv? And I'm like, what, what the, f- this is crazy. Like, I didn't know anything about improv. Like, that's how you get to be on those awesome shows. So that was the other thing is like the incentive of being like, well, if they did it and they're dope as hell and, you know, they're, they, they're my comedy, they're my type of comedy because I didn't grow up on SNL. I grew up on In Living Color and Mad TV and I would flip channels, you know, during commercial breaks and go back to MTV and then switch over to In Living Color. Like, that's stuff that spoke to me. Do you remember a time where it was like, that you enjoyed it, maybe it was a class, maybe it was a scene, mm-hmm. that you're like, oh, okay, this is fun. Yeah, I think it was just once you get into like later stages of A through E, you start doing actual scene work, and you start doing like, oh, why didn't that work? It's like, because I'm asking too many questions, or I wasn't paying attention enough. And having the right kind of teacher in there, like I responded well to teachers who were not, like they wouldn't handhold you, they would kind of let you be, um, autonomous in some of the scenes and then hold you back and say like what I know you wanted to do that why did you hold yourself back you should have responded like as yourself why, you know when it when they hit you with certain things like that and you realize oh man you're right and you then you apply it and you get a great scene and you realize this is fun like that's so that was so fulfilling and so freeing and I'm not I'm not playing red ball blue ball you know it's just like now I understand why we're making those connections, why I'm looking at your eyes when I'm speaking to you, because that's what you do in normal conversation or like, you know, it was just, I just had that, I, I felt like I got a connection where the, there was a dynamic switch of like, man, this is actually fun. Like, I, I want to keep doing this. I want to have that high of, of like making people laugh and making my, my scene partners laugh as well. And you do keep doing it. You go through the conservatory program, yeah. you take the musical improv at Second City, Yeah. but you say... It was the annoyance that it really started to kick in for you. When yeah. you started to take classes, the annoyance, that's when it started the, the, It started to kick in. Yeah, exactly. So when I was going through the A3 program, the training center program at Second City, I wanted to go through the conservatory because at that point I realized, okay, well, if I'm up to snuff, can I get into the conservatory? At that point, it was just a challenge. Like, I liked the idea of an improv. I still wasn't thinking of it as a career choice. I, I really just wanted to continue to do something fun, entertaining as a hobby, but a little bit more higher level than that and so when I got into the conservatory I was so psyched I made some great friends um, but I still felt I got into a place right after conservatory which I feel a lot of people do is like you put up a sketch show and to me that was my first I had never like I said I'd never done improv ever like in a college level or even like a class setting when I was younger so going through the training through the conservatory this is like the master class right this is when you learn about different styles and themes and um, uh, speech rhythms and I was treating it like SNL when I was pitching I would not shut up pitching which in hindsight I feel like man I was that guy you know that guy that's like constantly pitching ideas and everyone was like well I've got an idea like oh let's get your idea and then let's blend my idea you know but it wasn't because I wanted to be an asshole I just so excited about like man it's like this is like SNL man let's put this show it's gonna be so exciting and I was so like I was on 10 Um, so when I did that 
after I, I finished conservatory, I was like, I went into a slump because I felt like, well, what the hell, what, what do I do now? You know, I had no idea. People were thinking about doing generals, you know, when they bring in all the improvisers in the city and they audition to see if they could possibly work for Second City or get on touring companies. And um, I was tanking auditions. I am not a good auditioner. Um, and so I was feeling like, I don't know what to do. I, uh, I started interning at Second City. Oh, actually, that was a little bit later. But so I found myself thinking about The Annoyance because I had heard different things about The Annoyance kind of being this fringe place um, that a lot of people have really responded to in their improv. And I was always intimidated by The Annoyance because it, it just sounded like, man, those guys are like really serious. It, that the, the environment, too, is a lot more like badass. Not in the sense like I couldn't take care of myself because... I can take care of myself. But, <laughs> We've already established that. <laughs> oh, good. Right, have right, I said yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. We, we, um, back of the yards neighborhood. Yeah, you know, right. <laughs> I talk a lot of shit. I, that's what it South is. South side of Chicago. I think we that, good. that was established at the top. Yeah, yeah. I'm from South side of Chicago. Right, right. Right. Yeah. Um, but so I, it was kind of intimidated to me, the idea of going to the annoyance, just from a professional level going to. I had done, I had was interested in going to I.O., but I had a bad experience. I went to go see Dave, TJ and Dave, which is phenomenal. And I was like, oh, my God. This is this is what it's about, right? This is the how magical it can be, and I had my share of that, like seeing other improvisers at Second City do that as well. Certainly in the main stage and ETC shows, but that was still so far removed. Um, so when I saw when I went to the IO, it just it kind of felt kind of clickish to me, and I just had a bad experience. I know it's not that now because I'm in in it enough to see that most of the people that I'm cool with go also go there and I feel like the dynamic and the generations moved on um, so it's a better place than it was back then for me personally but so when I started doing stuff the annoyance first of all I had started entering there because I couldn't afford it I think I paid for the first level class and I had a really heart-to-heart -heart moment with Megan Johns who's a fucking awesome improviser in, no, who? Megan Johns Megan Johns yeah okay. she's an, a teacher and improviser uh, here at the annoyance and she, I had a heart to heart to her and like, listen, I, I really want to continue to do this, but I just can't afford it. I knew there was a long ass list for the internship and I didn't want to boot anyone out. I just told her like, I can't want to go. And I think she was so kind and so empathetic that I think that she's hopefully saw like, okay, well this, it's good. I think this guy is good enough to invest and I hope that's what she saw. Or maybe it was just me being like tearful. I <laughs> mean, like also I'm from the South side of Chicago, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but so she she got me an intern and I started doing the box office at the Lawrence and Broadway location of the Annoyance. So the Annoyance uh, now you teach at the Annoyance and the Annoyance mm -hmm. is different. Their approach is different than Second yeah, City. Yeah. For those people that aren't familiar with the Annoyance approach, mm -hmm. how could you explain it to them? Your yeah. interpretation. Of My it. interpretation is that it breaks all the rules because you apply your own. It's interesting because it's kind of like. You, it's Second City, they do a great job. Again, it's a different environment, group of people that are going in there to take classes. So they may not be interested in having a profession in improv or going to audition for SNL, et cetera, or, doing, or doing, being a writer on one of these late night TV shows. There are people just kind of, um, it's, it's a, 
a, a pot that's being mixed up with all different types of people. But once you come to the annoyance, everyone's really serious about improv. So when you come here, it's kind of seeing, it's kind of being part of the matrix. For me personally, I just felt like everything just like burst open. It's like, oh, so I should, I can, it, it's okay not to be nice in a scene if my character feels not happy in that scene. Like it gives you a voice and really empowers you to be like, you made a mistake, great, own it, lean into it. That's gonna get you the comedy, not because you're forcing it, because it's you're being truthful to that moment. Um, you know, getting a get, having an opinion of, of who, who that person is. And I, I've had that before at Second City, but it wasn't as raw, you know, like it's just, I feel like if you're an improviser who's really serious about furthering your, your improvisation, the annoyance is the place where it's gonna, you're gonna put all the ingredients from all the other schools and the annoyance is gonna get a wooden spoon into that pot and just mix it and stir the hell out of it. So one thing that's very popular with the annoyance is you come out and you you, you make a strong declaration. Yeah. You make a strong character yeah. choice. You're not worrying about taking care of the other person like you've learned at Second City. Yes. Which is, is more Spolin-based uh, mm -hmm. approach to, to the work. How does that work? Yeah, so the idea is that... Give me an example in terms of a character that you would do if we did uh, an improv right now. Yeah, so if I would go out and I'd, you know, and typically at, at Second City, you'd go out and do a scene to purpose step out. You check in with each other and say, okay, what's that guy doing? Can I mirror him? Can I mirror his energy? Can I mirror his character even? At the annoyance, it's like, you don't have time to do that. You come out and you have... Uh, you have already what you need as a character, what, whatever your your opinion is. And at where the time. are you getting that from? Where am I getting that from? Yeah, if you're stepping out, yeah. oh, you're doing it. Where are you getting that? Are you drawing it from characters you have in the stock room, or are you just? It could be anything. Annoyance was the first place that I ever came to where they don't give you a suggestion. Like I had never done that before. At Second City, you get a suggestion and then you go, you derive ideas out of that suggestion. But when I came to the annoyance, it was like, all right, start, do a scene. I was like, wait, what? I don't get it. How where's my suggestion? What you know, who are we? You know, <laughs> like help Is this me out here. Class? Yeah, exactly. But you come out and you just go like, okay, I'm just gonna I'm, all right, I kind of feel this way, and I'm gonna be like, Yeah, so uh it's kind of crazy. They're closing down the mill, man. And then you just start automatically. That person has to respond to whatever you've already established. So you do that, right? And yeah. then I'm like, my natural instinct is just almost to mirror the same energy. Sure. So, yeah, Friday's going to be our last day. Yeah, but we're going to get drunk, man. It's going to be amazing. Friday's going to be the best. But... I don't have a car, so we're gonna have to talk to your mom again. Oh, fuck. Come on, man, she likes me. I always smell good around her. I know, man, but I owe her a hundred bucks. That's fine. I'll tell her I'll pay her back in hugs. Cool, man. Okay, I'll do it. Yeah? Yeah. All right, let me call her right now, I got her number. Okay, so I basically I was just mirroring you. Yeah, right. But so here's the thing: the annoyance is like if you wait for that other person to have a get, mm -hmm. you can be shit out of luck because none of you have something. Okay. Don't rely on the other person. Don't wait on them because if that person doesn't have anything, you're you're in a bad spot for the improv scene to start. But if you both have motivation enough to like go in there and kind of face the fear, fuck the fear, and just go and do something, you're gonna have something to give each okay, other. Okay, so let, let's take an example. Two. Um, Two characters that would have, you would think would have opposing views. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So um, if I came, if you came in angry mm -hmm. and I came in happy, mm -hmm. those would be opposing. 
right? Yeah. And th that would be kind of an extreme example of an annoyance yeah. style. Yeah. Agreed? Or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but the thing is, is even if you've established, you've already established that, we're not going to change at the very top and be like, okay, I guess I'm going to go to happy or you're going to go to mad because this audience is going to see that and they're going to feel it more importantly. Okay. So it's just going to put us in a bad place of like, okay, they kind of let go. You know, it's kind of like dropping an imaginary object. People see that and it drops the energy in the scene, kind of takes the, the wind out of the sails. So if I was going to play happy... What is my goal? Just to keep heightening happy? Yeah, your goal is to continue to be happy and heighten the hell out of it, and I'll continue to be angry. Maybe I'm angry that you're so fucking happy, and that's my thing, you know? So I'll continue to jab you about being happy while I'm being mad, you know okay. what I mean? Until eventually, maybe that you get into a place where it evolves, right? Um, it doesn't necessarily have to happen all the time, but it t tends to do it because just as an improviser, you get bored very easy. And you're like, all right, I've done enough mad and I don't want to be mad anymore. And now I've got to find, now you've got to start paying attention to the scene. That's just the way to get started. Now you're paying attention to the scene of seeing where is it going to go? Have I gotten some little gifts from my partner that I could Now, start you bring up a to? point that I hear in class all the time, uh -huh. and that is, well, if I start happy, I am not supposed to change the happiness. Mm -hmm. And you're saying you play it out and it may evolve and right. it's okay. Maybe we end up, we're both angry or right. maybe I end up sad. Right. Or but, we reverse roles. Or reverse roles. Right. Um, so what do you tell students that are like, oh, well, wait a second. I'm supposed to hold on to what I, what I, you know, my, my strong declaration. My, my, my personal opinion is that I feel like if it drives the character in that direction that you should, you should trust your instinct. You know what I mean? Like, cause I feel like just like even in good acting, uh, and this is kind of going back to something that Mick taught me a long time ago that I feel like good improvisers are also people that have taken some some investment in acting, even if you take one class because it makes you a better improviser. And I think the reason for that is because it makes you listen more and it, come, it puts you in a place where you act more human, if it makes sense. Like, so if, I guess to answer your question is that if I feel happy and you're saying like, I shouldn't change my opinion, in that scene, I'll be able to see if you should have changed your opinion. You know what I mean? Because you'd want to hear, you don't want to see a scene where the guy is like constantly happy and he's just like not allowing the other person to enter, like to, to what's be, the word? be affected by it. Be affected by it, exactly. So if you see that, the audience member is not going to be, is not going to be having a good time. And you also, as a person, you should know. It's like a rubber band, right? It's like if you feel the tension of that joke and you feel an opportunity is amiss, it's like somebody lets go of the other side of that rubber band. It's like, poof, that moment is lost. And it's visible because you as a human person, as a performer out there, is going to emotionally, physically respond to that. To that so let's try it really quickly. I'll be happy and you'll be angry. All right. And we'll see where it goes. Okay. All right? Okay. Oh my God! I got us. Hey, Brad. What? I, I got us some. I got the tickets for the rock concert. The tickets, gonna, you too. What is it? The tickets. You the tickets for what? What is it? Fifteenth row. Fifteenth row. Yeah, dude. This is the Muppet Babies. You know, I have this weird thing about Muppet Babies. I cannot be in the audience with the Muppet Babies. All right. My dad used to wake me up in the middle of the night and scream the hell out of me out of a with a puppet. Yeah, but you always you always sang that song, you know, that Kermit song, you know, Rainbow Connection. Rainbow Connection! That's right, my dad used to tell me at the end of the rainbow, there isn't a pot, and I won't be there for you. I'm sorry, man. It's your birthday and I ruined it. What? It's fucking your birthday. Wait, what'd you say? It's, it's your my, birthday. It's my birth and I ruined it. It's my birthday! Yeah.
I bought those for your birthday. What would you? We we could go. We could go. I'll wear sunglasses. Hey, hey, it's my birthday. I'm a bad friend. No, you're not. I'm a bad friend. You're not. I'm a terrible friend. Listen. I should have known. No, you didn't know. You didn't know. I kept that from you. I didn't want you to know this weird thing that happened in my household with puppets. All right, Jim Henson was a bad influence in my household. I should have known something bad happened with puppets. No, nothing bad happened. Stop putting things in your head about bad things happening okay, in my household. That's not bad. what I said. All right, something bad happened with me with puppets. What? Yeah. When I was 14. Oh. The reason I bought those tickets is I thought it would, it would be a chance to like heal from it, but it's yeah. not gonna work. Fuck, man. It's my birthday though, right? So I, we yeah. gotta go. We gotta go. Yeah, it's your birthday. Whew. Oh, man. We gotta take a quick break here, and then we'll be right back after this. Okay, this is what I see constantly in improv today. Improvisers are just rushing through their scenes, and they're missing some of their best moments because they're afraid they're not doing enough, or they've gotta be funny. Oh, especially their first line's gotta be funny. And in the process, they lose their authentic voice, and they become very frustrated, and then they become bitter and jaded, and they, what inspired them, what, what, what made improv so much fun is no fun anymore. And I'm thinking, it's, it's still there. It's all there. If only they would just slow down and shut up, everything they need is right there. It's right in front of them, right in front of them, in their partner's face. And that is why I love teaching the Artist Low Comedy, and that's what you'll learn in the Artist Low Comedy Summer Weekend Intensive. It's about slowing down in your scenic improv so you can immediately make that emotional connection with your partner. Your relationships will be deeper. Your dialogue will just come out of your mouth effortlessly. And yes, it will be funny, but you won't have the pressure. Improv will be funny. It will be as easy as having a conversation. Now, this is for the seasoned improviser or someone who's new to improv who wants to work this way. Now, there's only 14 spots per intensive, and they're already filling up. I will be offering the summer weekend intensive, the Artist Low Comedy, on the weekends of July 14th and 15th, July 28th and 29th, and August 11th through the 12th here in Chicago. Sign up before June 30th and save $30, our early bird discount. For more information and to register, go to my website, jimmycorain.com. That's jimmycorain.com. All right, so talk to me about that. Yeah, so so that's tough, right? When yeah. you have some word, like, you obviously were really excited about getting me the, and this is, a, this is the interesting about that, is one, we set it up. So I'm already thinking, like, I have to heighten the shit out of my anger. Right. Whereas where it happens... When you don't have the magic of spontaneity, you also have that against you. It's like you're already pre-planning shit out. You know, right. it's like, well, I have to be mad, and I have to find reasons to continue to be mad. Mm -hmm. um, and then naturally, because we were talking about evolving, that it should happen. But it's difficult right now in this moment when you when you know going into it where you're going to establish because that's not what happens in the scene. You're just going organically and seeing what what is being how you're being right. influenced. Um, but I still responded to the way you felt about in that moment, you know, when you decided to take on my anger about the Muppets or the puppets um, and what happened to you in your household, because you heard me where I was like, whoa, 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 that shit did not go down. That's not the kind of household I grew up in, you know. Um, so, it, so, yeah, I feel like you're just constantly pushing that 
if you're going to play it, then you just play it hard and you find an opportunity to say, okay, I've played it enough and you've said something that now I have to emotionally respond to. Well, uh, there was a point, I, for me it was interesting because there was a point where I think you got sad first, right? Yeah, because I, I, it was the idea of like, oh, this is going to bring a bad... Right, so then there was kind of like at the middle of the scene, I'm like, okay, great, sad, I'm going off you, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm like, okay, we'll both be sad, it was just, it was just, it was an instinct I playing, and then I really enjoyed playing sad, (laughs) so I was like, I'm going to keep playing sad, because I really didn't enjoy playing happy, because it kind of felt forced to me. Yeah, exactly, right. You know, but I was willing to try it for an example, I was doing it for the good of the listeners. Thank you. You know, uh, to be of service, because that's what I do, but... um, yeah, that and, and it was just like, and, and I guess that's kind of a, maybe it's a Susan Messing thing, like, if you're having fun with something, just, you know, that's an instinct in itself, yeah. and just keep going with it. Yeah, she's awesome. I feel like, too, like, if you were having fun, because for me, also, I wasn't having fun being a mad person in going into it, but I know that's the rules that we established up, up at the top. So I was just trying to find... I was just looking for that opportunity to change it, you know, whenever there was. And luckily you gave me a gift in that, that where I could change it and be empathetic with you. And like, and then when you said you dropped the birthday thing, it was like, oh, that's it. That's my end. That's my, that's how I get happy again. So are you looking in a scene for an emotional change? Yeah, sometimes I am. Or just a gift where I can play on it. Like I can stay, even a, like a callback. So the thing of like, that's why I was trying to, for me, just, you're also playing that director brain a little bit of like, oh, how would I, if I was doing lights, for this awful scene is <laughs> where would I find the end for and it would be like going back to the birthdays like he's sad but it's still my birthday so that's a good opportunity for just kind of hit the lights on it so I'm just looking for opportunities to say like where's the game where's something that we can play and have fun with and continue to see where that where that takes us what does game mean for you game in for terms me? of annoyance yeah, for me, it's interesting because they don't really teach game at the annoyance in the, I mean we do teach game at the annoyance but it's not it's interpreted a little bit different depending on the institution. Comedy sports is a little bit different because it's a short form and everything is basically a game. Uh, Second City, I feel like it's uh, more personal scenes and it's it's a little bit more long form, I feel. And at, at the annoyance, it's always long form. So you're constantly looking for an opportunity to find something to hit it. Uh, Mick uh, talks about like finding something that makes... A game for me is where you establish something that has had... Uh, an impact on the audience that was funny and then you go back to that same button I call them buttons I mean they are buttons but so that's what I try to look for is it a button an opportunity to say like well if we start finding ourselves in a scene where it's getting a little boring and we're not moving anywhere go back to the button because at least that way we'll get give the me an example of that so just now when we were talking about the um about the birthday you know like so that was an opportunity for me to change my emotion and it made me laugh and that's the other thing that I try to I try to do as an improviser is that if I really trust my instincts and if it made me laugh I tend to break on it while I'm improvising so if it makes me laugh laugh I'll go back to it later in the scene just as a callback so I'll use that as a as a device to be like well if I'm not feeling funny or I'm not feeling like I'm getting I'm getting a good response in the scene is let's go back to something that did and maybe we'll find a different tangent from there. And if my scene partner also has the same kind of response, maybe I'll attack the same thing that he's done that he's laughed about. So I'll use that as advice to be like, let's go back to that and have fun. And so that's the game, right? It's like, now we found something. We found a button. Now that we've got the button, let's use that to our advantage and use it as a device. And then that becomes the game, just constantly calling it back. So we could have kept repeating it's your birthday and... 
Yeah, right. Well, in the sense of like not killing it because you, you right. beat it to death and you're like, well, you killed it and now it's not funny anymore. And right. just as an improviser, you know the difference. I, I've been known for rule of 20. You know, <laughs> rule of 20. Yeah. The audience keeps leaving. Why is there only two people left? <laughs> yeah, so like you get a better sense. But there's of different ways you can approach the, the birthday. Yeah, Like, sure. you know, last year I screwed up your birthday. Right. I never got your birthday right. Well, or, that's the thing too. Like I feel like Annoyance does a really good job of establishing things that they've seen like they've seen so many scenes where someone talks in the past tense and past tense is always bad. Now you, as an improviser starting off, you tend to use that as a crux because you feel like, oh, well, let's just talk, you know, this is like the fifth time and they saw somebody else and they, that got a laugh and they're like, oh, I'm going to use that next time. And it never does because it's, it's this, it's not genuine. Um, but so using past tense doesn't really work in the sense because then you're just talking about like, well, what did we have, what did we do last time that we're trying to recreate now because this is supposed supposedly like a spontaneity, uh, uh, spontaneous scene that we're, that we're supposedly showing the rest of the world, you know? You know, something as you were talking and explaining about what makes you laugh mm -hmm. and I'm almost embarrassed because it's so simple, but mm -hmm. That is your. That is really your instinct. When people say your instinct, uh, this is kind of. This is. I'm kind of having a breakthrough here after okay. 25 years. <laughs> when they say, you know, oh, trust your instincts. But if you're, if that's something that makes you laugh, that really, that's your instinct. Yeah. And to follow that, not Absolutely. to be like, oh, I broke on stage and I'm a bad, I'm a bad person. Absolutely not. But. Am I somewhere right with this? Absolutely, yeah. In fact, that's what I kind of try to teach as a teacher myself. Like, I, I try to approach teaching in a way to say, like, listen, I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you. This is what Second City or the Annoyance has taught me to show you, and they have enough faith in their teachers to say, okay, well, you're gonna have to teach them how you feel, staying on on book, obviously, and hitting the points that we need to. But you're gonna have to teach it the way you you feel is the best way that they'll understand. And I start, I, I usually tell my students, like, I'm not here um, to to teach you everything. I can't teach you creativity. That's got to come for you, right? I can't. I think the, the misconception is that you go to improv and they're going to make me funny. And that's fucking no. It's not true. It's you either want to do it, then you're naturally funny or just have enough, an ability to just pay attention and and see, seek out opportunities that really just pop out in a scene that people that really I feel like aren't necessarily funny they just they pay attention so much that it it, it makes scenes funny um, so what I what I feel like I, I try to tell them is I if you break now people are gonna have a different opinion about this naturally my personal opinion is that if I see an improviser break I laugh with them and if I'm laughing with you you already got me on the hook you know what I mean? So if I if I don't if I see that you're having fun up there, I'm gonna have fun watching you, and that's what I want to see. And it doesn't necessarily have to mean you breaking. It's just like, man, that guy's really having fun up there. He's just being playful, or even if he's mean, he's like, oh, that was so funny. It's like he still hasn't changed. You know? Like, <laughs> so I guess the question for me is because I struggle with this: is how do you have fun at improv? How do you get to the place where mm, what I just said is funny? It entertains me. I'm gonna follow what I just throughout there as an idea like you used on the birthday thing yeah. the birthday thing made you laugh you were just going to follow it yeah. how do you get to that place so a few things that helped me is one doing a solo show when I was uh, Scott Goldstein directed my solo show and I, I felt that he, one he was a great director because he's pretty surgical and I came with it with tons of ideas and I said like 
look, these, these, all these things make me laugh. I don't know if I have them fully fleshed out, but he has the, he has the ability to say, okay, well, if it made you laugh, then why shouldn't you put it up? You know, like, um, so it really gave me a voice to say, this is my opinion. It comes from a very specific Honduran point of view. And I want to show that because that is me. Um, but I, so that was one thing that helped me is just having a solo show where it's like, these are all my opinions. So naturally, they're also funny and they're make me laugh or else I wouldn't show them to you, right? So what changed for you? 45 minutes on stage, all you, here's my opinion, I'm responsible for making the audience laugh. Is that what did it? I think so because it gave, it put a lot of pressure on you. Like that's why I give a lot of credit to like stand-ups because it's, it's just you up there, you know, like the improv is going to do a lot of things for you, you know, ensemble work, paying attention, um, but writing your own material, that's a different, a whole different culture, right? Because you're going up there and you're just improvising scene. I feel like that's the, I've come to realize this now recently, this is the negative thing about improv that's affected me. I am an improviser. So that has made me lazy. Because I feel like, well, I don't have to fucking do the work. I'll just show up. It's improv. I'll make the rest of it up. You know what I mean? Like, so even when you do shows that you have to write for stuff, you're like, well, I'm just gonna beat it out. I know I'll do the rest of it. You know what I mean? Which I don't need to. I don't need to memorize lines. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm just gonna paraphrase. And that's that's really where improv kind of fucks you a little bit. It's like, no, but you need to prepare, and that's just etiquette and just the way you do stuff. But I feel like that really helped me say, well, this is my voice, and the annoyance also naturally helped me in that too because I did. I, it was unfiltered. But, you know, you say that about doing solo stuff because recently I've gone back to doing solo stuff. Oh, awesome. And it, it's interesting because you think, oh, if you keep doing improv, it's going to make you a better improviser. Yeah. But do, there's something about doing solo stuff and then doing improv after that mm -hmm. that your voice is stronger. I feel more confident. I feel yeah. – it feels like, okay, I'm not going to screw around. I'm just – I'm going to get to it. Right. You, 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 you're not as tentative, I guess, has been my experience. Absolutely. But I think you touched on what the, the part that's the most important, which it's the confidence that gets you there. Sometimes you can be funny just because you're confident and you're not up there kind of waffling around with an idea. You know, like when you go up there, people really take notice of presence. Like confidence, you know, fake it till you're making. The fact is that you've already – you've been faking it all your life, you know. Um, so yeah, having the ability at that point of view, it's going to help you do improv, but it's not going to necessarily, it, it, you can continue doing all you want. It's not necessarily going to make you a good improviser or a good solo work, but it's just the ability of being able to have that outlet to say, these are all my opinions. I created this. This makes me laugh and therefore I'm going to present it. And so when you do an improv scene, it's like, well, this is what makes me laugh. And so it's going to, it's going to affect other people on stage. What do you think prevents people from, this is what makes me laugh. From, and not doing it. This is what makes me laugh. And I, I'm, I'm well, whatever. I'm just not going to do it. I'm, I think. Yeah, I think it's all the pressure of, of of the expectation, right? So you have the expectation of yourself, which is one of the biggest. But then you all have these influencers, which are your ensemble. Like, am I being funny for them? And I am I playing up to their their level of improv skill set, right? Also, am I being am I playing to the level of what the expectation the of what the audience expectation is? So all these anxieties that are attacking you saying, well, if you second guess yourself for a slightest of a second, it'll be seen on stage. Interesting. Let me ask you this because you 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 talk about your Hindurian experience yeah, growing up. Uh, it's a different culture. Uh -huh. Improv what, what? Honduran. Honduran. I think Honduran. you said like Honduran, like Manchurian. Okay, no. All right. 
I always get nervous when I ask the no, more sensitive worry, questions, no. so that's why. It's okay. Most improv audiences are are white, right? Yes. Okay. So here you are. Yes. You're talking about this very this, this very unique experience to you. Mm-hmm. How did they respond to it? And how did you feel like, oh my, oh my God, are they gonna get? Are they gonna get my experience? Yeah, it's interesting. It's something that I still struggle to this day. Like we talked about, like how does it get to you to the point of having fun? And this tackles both of those things. Because I won't. This is one point that I wanted to say, and I didn't say it before, which is that. You have fun when you're playing with people that are also having fun that you're there. And that's a huge fucking importance, especially for a performer who's, who's POC, you know, person of color. You want to play with people that either get your sense of comedy, welcome you there, can also play with you in, in any format. You don't have to play that stereotypical role that they think they might know of you. It's just, it's a... It's a playing field where it's, everything is game, you know? So when you when you do a show like I did, it was called Solo Yo, which is a double play of like solo, it's only me, it's a solo show, but it has a second thing with, with my son and being a father. But um, I knew that I had to be like Honduran strong in that, in that show because this was my solo show. Why? I'm not going to be not me in a show that is about me, you know what I mean? So people are either going to resonate with it and not... I'm smart enough as an improviser, having studied, that I know that it's not going to be like, well, this is Honduran all the time. This is just shoving it down your throat. It's going to have, I'm going to make it relatable. Like we, we're all relatable because we're human. We have anxiety. We have depression. We go through different emotional states all the time. And I'm not, I'm not immune to that. So I'm going to show that, but also put the, 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 um, I'm going to add that layer of like, this is what it, what it means to be depressed as a Honduran or happy as a Honduran or a father figure as like a, a like a Latino male, you know, like what does that feel like growing up not having a father and not being a, a father myself? Like, I don't know what to do. You know, like I can teach him how to dance and he's probably gonna dance a little bit like my mother because she taught me how to dance. You know what I mean? It's like that thing of like, this is what it's like. What does depression look like? Yeah. Are you asking? Yes. Uh, yes, is, you're asking yeah, me? Yeah. <laughs> um, that's really good, man. I'm glad you asked that question. Because I suffer from it, man. I think we all do in different levels of it. And I, I'm i kind of in a slump right now. I feel like I've, I've had some success and we all do. And But I feel like with depression, it just kind of takes hold of you sometimes, even if you're having the greatest of things. Like I have a beautiful family. like, And that sometimes makes me depressed, just being depressed about the fact that I'm depressed and I shouldn't be depressed. Right. You know what I mean? So it's like the snowball effect. And my wife is so supportive and she hears me out and... You know, um, she has an outside opinion looking in, and it's hard because in this in this profession, you're constantly being told no, or you're not the type, and so that I think kind of chips away at you. But it's just having the fortitude of saying it's not me, it's not because of I didn't prepare enough. Um, it's just it wasn't my time at that particular time. But so um, I auditioned for SNL last year, <clears throat> and it was really difficult for me. Like I was very happy for friends that got on naturally, but you're human. You're going to feel, it's like I was happy for them, but I was sad for me. And that unfortunately like took over everything else. You know what I mean? So it wasn't like, it didn't become angry. I wasn't vindictive or any of that shit. It was more like, man, I just, this could have helped out my family so much. You know, like I could have, 
put Honduras on the map and I could have provided for my family and I could have told my job finally. Like they had no idea that I do this stuff and just to be like, I got a job. Right. By the way, it's SNL, you know? And so you kind of live out that moment in your head and it's like, and I really went over there thinking like, I'm going to be, do some of my solo stuff to represent. Like, you know how the kind of, how ridiculously insane it is to be on that stage and be putting up some of your solo work and be like, you're putting up work that you were doing in a, in a, in a theater with, with some amazing people that responded to it really well. And you're like, now I'm putting it up into Lauren and they're getting to see it. So no matter what happens, this is a fantastic opportunity. And this is a big deal. Like this wasn't just a showcase. They flew you and they put you up in a yeah. hotel like that. This is, this is, the, this is almost the, this next level is being hired. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was, it got really good. I feel like, you know, um, it's one of those things like you look back and you wonder how much of it was real. Like, you know, you get feedback from the agents and it was all really positive. I mean, the fact of the matter is they could told me they were telling people up front, like, okay, that's this person is definitely a no. And I was still being considered. and It was still kind of late in the game because I tell you when when you're supposed to hear back from them. And you're like, well, you're waiting. And there's all this kind of weird shit that happens like you're not prepared for like. There are supposedly spies that are looking out to see if you act out. And it's like, well, I'm not going to act out. I'm just going to be me. I'm Where are the spies when you're waiting out? <laughs> I don't know, dude. They talk. I would just be like in the lobby of the hotel. Yeah, that's the I thing. Mean, yeah, it's like people I, I are talking been... and it's just like crazy. It's like, what, what, what's going on? Like people are overhearing our conversation. It's, it's just what it makes sense. Like you're going to go to a job. They're going to check out your work history, right? They're going to find out if this guy's even stable to be out there, which right. makes sense. I, I wasn't fearful of that. It was just the idea of like um, – of just being the best I could be up there. But you said uh, one moment, was it afterwards that you, you were so elated that you cried or was it when you were coming in? Yeah, well, I cried all the time. I cried How do you do time. that? Can you teach me Cry? that? Have, yes. Parenting, yeah. man. You're a parent. I know. My, my, Betsy's two. Your, yeah. your son is seven. He's going to turn seven in June, yeah. Seven. Hola, so did, did, um, did you cry from the beginning to seven or is it like no. around five or six the dad it's starts the craziest to cry. thing it's like kids my my mom my my mom my, my wife had our son but i went through the emotional roller coaster of like having him you know naturally like i like i said my father was not in my life growing up so for me it was redemption i had always wanted to be a father you know and you know there were some rocky steps ahead of us and finally God gave us the opportunity to have a child and we're so blessed <clears throat> and did you because so, we did fertility is that no we did not do that okay. but we did all kind of medical intervention and then we were just like fuck it we're just we gave up on it and then it happened so it's one of those great stories because that that's care about. I found the fertility is more stressful than getting pregnant absolutely and the toll that it takes on your partner like I can I wish to God that I would I was able to take all the shots and be put up on these fucking vices like these um, what are they called the, the the stirrups or whatever yeah. it's just it's horrible like she wants this as much as I have and so it's a really sensitive balance and so what I so I was already emotionally like in debt that have been becoming a father right. so um, but I would cry about all kinds of stuff dude like I can't there was this commercial of this Ford commercial where this this guy's in a pickup truck and it's real manly like Ford pickup trucks for men you know it's kind of ridiculous and there's this kid who his father is a construction worker and they show the shot of the the father in the morning putting up all these bricks like like mason work like real hauling ass kind of thing right and then he comes home and he finds his son is playing with legos and he's putting the legos in all the empty spaces in the house and his father looks at him and says like damn that's my kid 
and it made me ball. <laughs> like I was like, what am I supposed to do? I, I you know, I, I you're a tough a, kid from the south side of Chicago. Yeah, but I, I, I'm in front of a computer. What am I supposed to teach him how to type? That's my, that's what I'm giving him. It's like he's gonna have great <laughs> words per minute, you know. Um, so yeah, I was an emotional wreck. So it was a kid time. that did it, huh? For me, yeah. I mean, I have always been an emotional kid. Being the youngest, my mm -hmm. mom would always baby me. I was always the kid that everyone else had to take care of. Like mm -hmm. it didn't matter what my older siblings were doing. They want my mom wanted to know. Okay, what? Well, Where's Vernon? You know, where where is where is he doing? Where, what's he doing? Why did that happen to him? Weren't you supposed to take care of? So I would exploit the shit out of it. You know, like uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah. So I feel like I was just emotionally ready to have a, to be a, a father. So um, so when I got the call, my phone was it was crazy because I was understudying the ETC and I got a message on my phone and then my phone was acting up and I wasn't getting messages and then like in the middle of the day at work I saw it was like a voicemail. It was like and it was, it was in the morning, but I got it like late in the afternoon. And I was like, what the, that's weird. And it was like a New York number. And I didn't think anything of it because I knew New York was out. And, um, <clears throat> and Did you think it was a telemarketer? Yeah, because I get that. Do you get that scam likely shit from LA? I get LA? a lot of stuff. Man, I hate that so much. Scam likely is like making so much money. <laughs> um, but so I got the message and it was like, it just like, I still have it recorded, you know, like I saved it, I put it on my drive, it's just crazy just to have it, hey, you know, this is so-and-so from Saturday Night Live, we saw your, we saw you on, at Second City, really enjoyed what we saw up there, we'd like to fly you out, and I was just like cloud nine, man, and I called my wife, and I actually forwarded her the message, <clears throat> and I told her, have you heard your message, and she's like, no, and she's like, well, listen to it, and then I was like, listen to it and call me back, <laughs> and then she called me back, and she was screaming on the other line, and I, I just, I had to like, try to hold my screens because I was still at work but I was so excited and I also didn't and then immediately everything all the negativity rushes in all the depression of like am I good enough is I what am I doing what am I gonna do I, I just you know you have to trust your instinct it's like man fuck yeah I've been doing this for such a long time like I know what I want to go up to this is the greatest opportunity ever you know and then um, how do you override those because I, I I relate with that a hundred percent you get this great opportunity mm -hmm. and anxiety comes in fear comes in self-sabotage self-sabotage huge yeah. I majored in that in college how do you override <laughs> that to show up because mm -hmm. I've shared on the podcast many times I had an yeah. opportunity when I was around yeah. 30 and yeah. I to go the same thing to go and audition I blew it off yeah I was really messed up back then less today but still <laughs> messed up how do how did you how do you override those those negative messages that are just the, the closer you get to a bigger thing the harder they're pounding in yeah. your head yeah absolutely so there, we talked about all those influences those negative and it's not people that are there to make you feel bad it's just a natural state of being human of like these are doubts that i have right you know and it seems too far too too good to be true because we're told that all the time it's like this is negative like this is not gonna right. happen you know what i mean um but so the way i overcame it was leaning on my support system, which was my family. Like I spoke to my wife who was super supportive. I spoke to my mother and I was crying on the phone, you know, and she was like, you know, this is no matter what comes out of it, I'm so proud of you. And I also felt like I told myself that I come from a generation. I, co I come from um, comedy lineage. Like I really told myself, like this is this 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 is the opportunity that all my my former comedian uncles and people around me. This is the opportunity that I'm being given. I'm not gonna fuck this up for them because of my doubt. Is do you use that uh, as support or is that added pressure? 
I mean, if you look at it, it is added pressure, but it's the best kind of pressure, right? It's like this, everything that else has happened, you know, my brother signing me up for a class, doing a solo show with great people, doing other sketch shows and um, having great opportunities at Second City. It's like this, every, all that stuff has given you the opportunity to be ready for this moment. And so you'd say like, you, you give yourself the moment of like breathing. Um, that's something that Matt Hupty actually really t um, resonated with me is like whenever you're nervous, just take a deep breath. And it seems so silly of a thing to do. It's like, oh, right, I'm going to breathe and I'm going to be feel better. But I swear to you, it helps so much. Um, and I still do it to this day right before I get on stage. It's like just trying to calm my nerves and just breathing out. It kind of like pushes that negativity out. And I did that. I was in my conference call in my conference room in the conference room at work. And I was doing this, this breathing exercise after I talked to my mom, because even then you don't want to hear it, you know, like, but you're not going to be up there, you know, like you're being negative for the wrong reasons. It's like, you're going to be up there and you're going to be able to be maybe the first Honduran to be on that stage to audition for sec for Saturday Night Live and also be able to represent your culture. No one else has ever, well, probably ever done that. And so you're also doing it for them. And so you, yeah, that, that's pressure you put on yourself to like, man, you better not mess up. But it's not that. It's like, yeah, I'm ready, man. I, I did. These are my solo bits. Like they killed. I know they work. If they don't laugh, then that's just because I already knew. Look, I've, I've auditioned for Mick Napier and he's cold as fuck. Uh, <laughs> and so I was like, I'm ready. I've been in cold rooms. So I expected them not to laugh. And I got some responses to the, the best moment of that audition was when right at the top, I made the cameraman laugh. And I just, it just like, it made me so happy. Like the kid inside me was crying and jumping for joy. And so I knew whatever happened out of that, I was like, that's, that's what, that's the only thing you could really want out of that audition is just being happy that you auditioned the best way you could, you know, like I didn't mess up my props. I didn't grow, go up on my lines. I didn't forget my lines. I didn't screw up a bit. I did everything exactly the way I needed it to do. And just from a like professional, like technical standpoint, I was happy, you know, and the fact that they laugh was also great. You know what I mean? Um, but don't, I'm not going to kid you. It's not uproariously laughter all the time. You know, I mean, they, I think they try to be tough for a reason so they could see you like, um, sweat a little bit and see how you respond to it. And that's what you do all the time in improv. I wonder <clears throat> your your depression after that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I, 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 yes. Uh, Tim O'Malley, who was a, is a teacher yeah. of yours. Yeah, I love O'Malley. A great, great guy. Yeah. I remember he, he did a show, God Show, yeah, which God I show. was in. I saw that. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yes. And I remember uh, him saying, you know, when he closed it, yeah. it was almost like grief. And I'm wondering, oh my God. I wonder, like, here it is, in terms of improv, improviser, to audition for Saturday Night Live, that is like the pinnacle. Yeah. And I wonder, like, okay, it's over. Yeah. Maybe it's not as much depression as, it's just grief. It is. Man, I, that's exactly what it is. And I told my wife exactly that, is that is, I feel like I'm grieving for someone and that someone is me. And it's so crazy because, I, you know, I talked to other people that went that flew out with me and I asked them, like, how are you doing, man? Like, I'm not doing good. Like, not in the point where I'm like, like, <laughs> you know, like seriously in trouble, but just right. like, I'm not, I've never felt this before, like this low, you know, like, because it questions everything, you know, like you start thinking about like what, it, again, what it could have done for my family. Um, and you start wondering, like, you know, well, what, what am I supposed to do now? You know, you start really doubting what then is now your future. And that's that's what I'm still kind of shaking out of, frankly. I've, I've, I'm much better where I was, like, soon after the, you know, the announcements and stuff. And um, How did you take great. that? Because uh, a, hand, a couple of Chicago people got it, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. Luke Noll, Chris Red. Right. Yeah. So uh, when you hear that, mm -hmm. 
Oh, how did I take it? Yeah. I was happy for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, naturally. I mean, those guys are hustlers. They're funny. Right. You know, so it's not like I hate that person and he's a jerk. Right. That would be the worst. That's that's where you – then that's where you become an angry person because mm-hmm. you're like, well, you have reason to be upset. Those people are not good people. And I'm sort of naive that way, like in the sense like I really believe in the good of people and I'm kind of a sucker. I'm pretty certain that I'm going to die trying to help someone who's only trying to kill me. <laughs> I'm very certain but of that. What I do is I turn it on myself. I'm oh, like, they do. got it, and I'm like, oh, what did I do wrong? No, man, okay. I don't do it that way. I, the way I saw it was just like, I'm really happy for them, but now I've got to gotta, put up my laces and figure out what I'm going to do with me. You know, like, And everyone's super supportive. And just like, you know, my family is like, I'm the youngest of five. So my, my text group thread was like on fire that week, you know, just like the kind of support and everyone's so excited and they couldn't, it was just crazy. It just made you cry reading that. stuff. I still have all my text messages from that, from those, from those days. Um, and it's weird cause you, you get in a place where you're resentful that you're excited. You know what I mean? Like, damn it, you knew better. You right. knew you immigrant. You knew better. They weren't going to give it to you. <laughs> like, but it's not that. Do you have that in your head as an immigrant? No, I, I think like, so. Like, I, like, like it, it's not, too, gonna... not in this, I don't want to say that because that sounds like immigrants have a negative attitude that they can't get something that's... No, but... I, I say it in the sense of like you... Not even as an immigrant, frankly, so I'll redact that. It's the right. idea that if it's too good to be true, it's not going to happen. You know what I mean? But you put that positive or negative energy out there, it's going to affect your surrounding and it's going to affect you. Um, so for me, it's just like I'm still grieving and it's okay to be grieving. I've kind of – I've dealt with it. Like I can't see – you know when they they have the SNL uh, experience here in Chicago? Yeah, did you go? Fuck no. No okay. way, dude. I can't even get blocked like close to that place. Like it's just – it draws up too much – it's bad. It's it's bad. It's bad. Like I can't – What is it that you, you can't – go in there it's just it's gonna drop so many emotions of like what could have been like what what and it's a weird thing is that it's not still it could be something else and that's what i've really put myself in the minds of like you talk to your family and they'll t- my family's always been telling me like dude this is a, i know you really wanted this but this could be they didn't give it to you now because they're going to give you something greater later and i really believe that now i not in the sense of like it could be that but i really want to be positive there's got to be you know, and you also believe in your own talent and your own worth. And you say, like, well, I'm good enough to be on there. And I know that it's their loss. But you also know that um, it's not going to stop you from continuing to try to get your goals. And then that goal can be there or it can be anywhere else as long as you're satisfied. You, because, you, need. you know, I've had a lot of – I've had Chris Red on, yeah, on the show. I, I've, I've had – uh, uh, what's his name? I can't think of his name. But a lot of people auditioned mm-hmm. multiple mm-hmm. times before Alex they got Moffitt? Did you have Moffat? I haven't had Alex Moffat. Okay, Moffitt. okay. Uh, I thought, no, I, I mean, like, I thought that's... I, I'd love to have Alex <laughs> Moffat. Uh, if you're listening, Alex, yeah. uh, you can certainly email me. Oh, I hope not. Okay. <laughs> but, but is there a part of you, like, I, um, uh, Chris Wataski, that's it. Chris, yeah. He, Chris auditioned three times. Dude, that guy's a beast. He's so funny. He's very funny. Didn't get it, but... But in, in, I know Chris Red auditioned a couple times yeah. before he got yeah, it. Yeah, right. So there's that thing of like. But is there you know, a part of you like okay, may, okay, I did it once. Maybe they'll ask me to do it again. Yeah, absolutely. There's part of me to do that. You know, like uh, why wouldn't they? You know, like you also look at people like um, Leslie, who's you know certainly up in her age. Uh-huh. Um, she's in her forties. Leslie, what's her last um, name? Oh, why is it escaping me? I'm gonna hate myself. Yeah, she, she's, yes, I know who she is. Yeah, yeah, so she's on the show and, you know, a 
a lot of people were like, oh my God, she's so old. And it's like, it's bullshit, but it's just like, you should have a, a point of view up there that's deserving. You know, it's it's not all high school people that are watching that show. Certainly, certainly from a satirical standpoint, you you need that POC to also have that opinion, which I felt like that would have been a great opinion to also have a Latino voice. Let's uh, talk but they about, do, I mean, let's talk also, about diversity yeah. because it, you started in 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, how has diversity or hasn't it changed in terms of improv theaters in Chicago? How have you seen it? Well, for me, I felt like it has, it has changed. I mean, you see certainly the landscape of, of what you're seeing in some of the theaters has changed, but I think it's because people have really forced themselves to say, well, I'm not going to pl- perform with people that don't make me happy. So I'm going to put my own group together and I'm going to be, rep- we're going to be able to represent our point of view in one way or another, you know? Um, so people like the groups like Stir Friday Night, just Stir Friday Night, um, which is an all Asian group, all right? Asian group, Matt Damon, who's all female PLC, um, baby wine, which is all gay, um, it's LGBTQ plus um, performers, and so the, these are the the voices that maybe in one place or another felt like they weren't wanted, and so they put their own they put their own voices out there and said, "Well, we're going to put up a show together, and we're going to get a space a space to do that." Um, and really forces other people to say, "Like, wow, they're getting a lot of attention," and like three people so I can kill on it. Um, I mean, they all are, but. Other people are paying attention that they're getting the the marketing value is there. They're certainly driving audience, and frankly, that's what that's what discussion is about. It's um, it's really driven by how many butts can we get in the in the audience, you know. And I mean, we're also very aware of that too. We want to get paid for our work. We want to play in a place that we can, you know, not feel like we're doing bar prob and getting tips. You know, you know what I mean? Like, there's also that that it's it's weird because we're also fighting against that. In, in addition to having a place to speak or, or So what can theaters do besides the obvious, which is casting, right? Mm-hmm. What, what other steps can they take to support diversity? I feel like, so their institutions are certainly trying to do their due diligence to get more diverse voices out there, but it really comes down to the, the need of the directors really stepping up and asking for that. You know, so it you know at Second City where you typically have like a six set performer and you're looking for male, female, or you know certain ethnicities and you're just trying to fill slots and it's being done everywhere in all the theaters and now it's kind of like a it's a it's a term of currency or at least to to say oh we've got a few diverse people so we are kind of filling that slot so everything's fine and and good but why not. Um, force the format a little bit and have more than one POC person on that on that team you know that represents the society that um, is watching it you know so the the marketability is also there that's the conversation that needs to be had um, but I feel it's like I think the the, the, the tenants the schools the primary ones um, in addition to having scholarships and stuff to really make a force effort to do like really push the envelope and this not even a fucking envelope it's just the idea of like how are we gonna? How are we gonna um, transition into this next phase of, of improv, or just the scene, or the culture, or the people that are involved in it, to show that we really care? You know, like how would how crazy would it be to do an all POC show, but not for the sake of like we have an all POC show? You know, like really, you know, like when when um, um, Piano Full of Bees came out, it was crazy, right? Because they had two girls. Was it two women? Piano Full of Bees. Yeah. Uh, they, I'm just thinking, they had Rachel, well, they always, it was always, 
two women in the cast. They might have had three women. It might have been okay, three Okay, maybe it was four. that. But it was something in the sense of like stirring up, not for the sake of stirring up, but like it works. You know what I mean? Like this is a format that doesn't need to be defended. It's just, it should, we just should come to that phase. And I'm not saying like, getting on the defense of, of saying, well, what, what about the other cultures that need to be represented on there? You know, like it, the opinion needs to be up. It's just the sense, the sense of like, it just needs to be one to be able to satisfy the need because that's not indicative of what's out there. You know what I mean? How much is outreach part of this equation? Because when I think about somebody like you, yeah. who, who grew up and we've established in the South side of Chicago, South side that you didn't even know what Second City was. Yeah, right. So he, how much is, if they, if they got into schools and they, you were exposed and people said, oh, this might be an option. Yeah, absolutely. So we talk, I mean, my own struggle, right? Like my brother paid for my class. There's that other disparity of like, folks can't afford a $400 class for telling and then coming home and telling their, their friends and buddies, dude, I've been doing trust falls all, all day. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like street cred is out the window right. or off the street. But it's just that thing of like having opportunities to say like, well, we're going to pay for a full year for a bunch of people, not just like a few that are selected. And it's just... This is an opportunity for everyone to come in here. So having that outreach and diversity, which you know, Second City does a depart have a department for, and other institutions are trying to do, and it, I know it comes down to resources, but it's I think it's really imperative because then you have no exposure to it. Like I had no idea that folks from In Living Color had done improv or sketch writing. You know, like I thought they were just stand-ups and had funny ideas and you know that just put the stuff up. But um, had I known earlier that that's really a good door opener for having an opportunity like that in the future, I would have done it much sooner. So what is left for you? I mean, you have this Saturday Night Live audition. I mean, there's got to be a lot of heat on you. Yeah. What do you mean heat? Like you have a lot of interest. A lot oh. of people like, oh, we got we to gotta get Vernon. We, we want to, you know. I don't know. I don't know if that discussion is being had. I, I'm having that discussion for myself, you know, of saying like I'm putting myself up to, to task and being like, Vernon, you've got to do more. You've got to do stuff that's making you happy. You've got to do stuff that, where you feel like you're getting enough done. Because I obviously I'm a family as well, and I come from a family where my father was absent. I don't want to be that, become that person. And there's a balance, like certainly in family, and it happens with everyone, even if you're single, right? It's like a balance of how much time you're going to commit to your own self of just being um, happy and healthy mentally and, and or physically, hopefully both. Um, so what would make you happy you. in your career? Me is being able to cross over and saying, okay, now I can do this full time or have something big enough that I can, I can jump, you know, I can, right now I feel like my feet are on two, uh, like plates of ice and I really want to jump on the plate of ice that's like in the entertainment comedy business, you know, like, but that's also going to be defined by me. Like you gotta work begets work, man. And I really, really believe that. Like a lot of stuff really started changing for me professionally after I did that solo show. Not just from a voice. What changed for you in terms of opportunities? I started. I started understudying at at Second City um, at the ETC stage, which subsequently got me the opportunity for SNL. Um, I started doing stuff with Bisco, which pays really well, and I love you. I love you, Bisco. Well, you um, do big corporate shows. Yeah, and which is with phenomenal. money, and they treat you really well. Yeah, and with that's an exposure that I've never had before. Right. Um, I was able to get an agent. You know, I have representation here in Chicago and also in LA, and that gives, has given open the doors of like auditioning for stuff in LA and here locally in Chicago, naturally. 
Um, so all that stuff, because like I said, work begets work and people start talking. It's like, and you know, there's also a social media aspect to that. And it's kind of an ugly truth of the situation is like, you don't want to, I certainly, there's a lot of pressure in social media being like, oh, well, this is all the stuff that I'm doing. And sometimes it's, it's not, you know, you feel like, well, you don't want to be that person that seems that's like gloating, but there's also that market standpoint of like, well, you need to be selling yourself because you are a business and people want to see if that's a business that's worth investing in, right? So if they see that that's an opportunity, like I, I certainly feel like not having done SNL, I might not, I mean, it's not to say that I'm not deserving of it because I definitely know I am. I probably wouldn't have been understudying the, uh, the touring company. Because I feel like certainly after that, they were like, well, if they're focusing it, why aren't we paying attention to this guy more than we already are? And I had already done enough work in that building, putting up shows and making sure that like Latinx was being represented there. Um, and I feel like that really gave them an opportunity. Like I said, work begets work. And and it, even at a, like a human level, right? Like if you have a buddy who does construction and he's constantly out doing construction work, he's like, man, I need to get in with this guy. Whenever you have a weekend, bro, I need a fucking basement done like real quick. I, even if just put the corner bathroom, dog, you know what I mean? Like, so it's like, why wouldn't people in the industry also have the same opinion, right? So you gotta be out there letting people know that you're doing stuff, you know? So you, so the solo show, you put yourself out there. Yeah. I really did. And uh, I think that that really also showed them that I could hold my own, have my own stage. It was a double bill, which is a great idea with Scott Goldstein of like, that's just another aspect of doing a solo a solo show, which is like, you have to start thinking about marketing. Is it a seasonal show? When are you going to do it in season? Is it around Christmas? Do you have to you address think Christmas? think like a producer. Absolutely. And that's the other great benefit of having a great director who thinks about that stuff and also has an open dialogue with you so that then you become, you have the skill sets whenever you want to put up another show or our director yourself for another show, solo show, that's a dialogue you want to have. What's going to be the house music? How cold should the room be? How cold should the room be? Do you know how cold should the room should be? I don't know how cold or hot. Oh, it's cold. You Absolutely. don't. You don't. You don't want to hide because they're gonna fall asleep. Absolutely. How long should a solo show be? It should be forty-five minutes. No, no more than forty-five minutes. No more. Why? Because after that, then it becomes that. That's a, sh a show where people are either gonna lose interest and it's gonna be bang, 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 a long show, or it's gonna have some sort of through line that it's like storyline. This is my entire life cycle that I'm presenting up there. You know, so forty-five minutes a good enough time where there. Is, have seen enough successes in solo shows to say people aren't going to get tired at the 45 mark. You want to leave them wanting more, never wanting less. How long did it take you, because I'm working on a solo show, yeah. how long did it take you to to write it and so find it? So I, I, I had already had ideas thinking about a solo show, like, man, I always wanted to, uh, these are things that if I ever do a solo show, this is the music I want to end. I, if I ever do a solo show, this is kind of the things that I want to talk about. Um, and I want to address some personal stuff that I just want to get out of my chest too, which is also really helpful. Um, so I wanted to come from a very honest point of view and naturally like a Hispanic point of view. Was it you or characters or both? It was both. It was a little bit of both. I wanted to do both because I wanted to make sure that I was, I mean, we rely on characters because you want to do that. I impersonated a lot of my family members because that's what I had always been doing. Um, I did this specific piece about my mother who was a beautician, which I very much loved. And it's one that I put up at the uh, second, uh, Saturday Night Live. I can't even see it. You see what I, it's a struggle, man. Uh, 
um, which was really important to me just to be able to represent my mother on that stage because her business is what got us through this entire life uh, for all my five siblings, including myself. So I, it was such a great, honorable moment to have my mother represented on that stage. Um, but so the way I came across is sitting with a good director, someone that you trust. Scott Goldstein was doing some great shows, work begets work. He always put up some great solo shows with other people <clears throat> that I looked up in the community. And I was just waiting for him, like for when he was available. When when you get a weekend off, dog, let me let's put let's put in that corner bathroom. You know, it's like I wanted to make sure he was he was also my assistant director, my conservatory level five show, and he got my sense of comedy. You know, he was also very that's supportive important, of isn't it? Yeah, you can get the best director, but if they don't get you, it's not because I've had that experience. Oh, it's the worst. Like you shouldn't you shouldn't rely you shouldn't trust your work on someone who doesn't see your worth. You know, and doesn't understand your sense of comedy. Even if it's wacky and crazy or fringe, as they call it, whatever, that person better also be fringe and be tapped into that. Because then why are you putting up a show with that person? You know, regardless of that name behind it, it's going to be a nightmare. This is your work. You shouldn't be giving it to the hands of someone who doesn't care about you. You know what I mean? And so I had that that uh, personal relationship and professional relationship with Scott. He's also been a really supportive of mine. He was the first person that cast me in a sketch show, and he was it was his director show when he went through the directing program in Second City, which I was really proud of. I don't I wasn't necessarily ready for it, but he saw it in me and he gave me a shot, and I'll never forget it. We got to wrap this up. I've kept you here way too long. Oh, I love we it. end we end the podcast with the same question: What one piece of advice would you give an improviser today starting out? Don't second doubt your worth. Believe yourself that if it's funny, it's worth showing. Vernon Mina, did I get your last name right? Tell me I did. <laughs> you did, Vernon Mina. Thank you so much for being our guest on Improv Nerd. Thank you, Jimmy. There you have it. Another great episode of Improv Nerd is in the can. I want to thank my guest, Verna Mina. And check out his show, Trigger Happy, at Thursday nights at the Annoyance Theater in Chicago at 8 p.m. I'd also like to thank Jen Eslin. Jen Eslin of the Annoyance Theater for making this possible. She's the one who secured a space for us in the basement of their training center there so I could record this episode of Improv Nerd. Thank you, Jen. I really, really appreciate it. Also, I want to thank my producer, Dan Schiffmacher. He's the one who makes me sound so slick and so professional. If it wasn't for Dan, you would not be hearing my voice right now. Also, if you want more information about me, Jimmy Corain, and my award-winning improv classes, workshops, and my summer intensives, which are coming up, go to my website, jimmycorain.com. Also, follow us on social media. Go to Facebook and like us on our Improv Nerd Facebook page because, you know, it helps with my low self-esteem. That joke never gets old, does it? Also, Twitter, follow us there, improv underscore nerd. Go to our YouTube channel and subscribe, improv nerd podcast, all one word. And we could really use your support if you could uh, throw us a couple bucks and subscribe to our Patreon. Uh, is it a channel or I don't even know what they call, but it's Patreon slash improv nerd. Uh, so if you could do that, we would really appreciate it. And of course, we want to thank you for listening because we couldn't do this podcast without you. And until next time, remember, walk, don't run. There is a nerd.